City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, find us on YouTube. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, it's a positive, positive vibes, Chase. Uh, This is the, we spoke, I think, just after the trade deadline. A little bit more time has passed now. Uh, the Hornets are, I think, four and one in the last five games. Um, we have uh, several positive conversation topics to hit today. We're going to be touching a little bit on the Hornets' number one ranked defense since the All Star break. Whoop whoop. Um, we're going to be touching on Grant Williams' impact, the uh, who goes to the bench discussion, if or when Lamella Ball comes back, and uh, just sharing off some of our thoughts on Vasali Micic. Now we've seen a little bit more of him, and if he is the answer as the backup point guard. Uh, but Chase, before we get into the details, um, you know, I had a work thing today, which I was rushing back for, for this podcast. And I want to tell you, I didn't tell you this before we start recording. I was in Manchester trying to get rushed back for this. And as I was approaching the like tram Metrolink, I don't know what you call it, you know, in America, as I was approaching the one that went to my stop was leaving and they're not they're like overgrounds in Manchester. So they're not like underground, like San Francisco overground type. Chase, I ran alongside the the the, uh, the, the metro for for I think what you call an American term four blocks. Um, yep. Wow, that's like a long time. This was well, I don't know. How, well, maybe it was three blocks. I don't want to. I don't want to over egg myself too much, right? It, it was probably like still though. It was, and I just come off a like buffet thing where we ordered everything on the menu as a work department twice. So I was literally like emerging from the stairs of that, like groggy, full of food and ended up then running like, I don't know, a kilometer past these four blocks. And I literally managed to just get in the door and get home on time. So I basically wanted to vomit on the way home. And I felt, I felt like, you know, in the scene of Superbad where the cops are chasing McLovin, uh, no, and he's like, he's the fastest kid alive. (laughs) That's basically what I felt like. On the train, on the Metrolink, trying to get home, being like, "I gotta get back for the podcast." So that was my that was my journey here. 
This is it was the fastest tram alive. That was that was the only thing. I mean, I'm gonna you had every excuse to be late for this podcast. You were weighed down by an over amount of food. You were had to run what seems like an extremely long distance just to even catch this train. You were suffering on the way back after catching your wind. I'm but you were here. I mean, I don't know if this is a Jordan flu game because it seems like you were all of these circumstances were basically thrown at you when you were walking out of the tunnel to start your warm up. So I, this might be even better than the Jordan flu game in terms of a podcast equivalent. We're really being well. I, I will take all the plaudits I can get. Um, I didn't want to miss this episode because look, we have recorded a lot of podcast episodes together. We've done probably over 150, I'd say in total, something like that. Um, and in that time, if you did a pie chart of like positive versus negative, it would probably be like 85% negative to 50. And this is not one of those times. This is one of, we're adding to our 15% pie chart. Um, despite, you know, losing on against the Warriors in one of the ugliest games I've ever seen, uh, the Hornets are playing well. And uh, as I shared today on social media, and by the way, after I shared it on social media, I swear there was like, three articles that came out in The Athletic, in NBA.com, all talking about Charlotte's number one ranked defense. Um, I think everyone must have just got onto this at the same time. But yeah, as I, as I mentioned, the Charlotte Hornets are surging. They've been pretty much the worst defense in the NBA all season. Um, and since the All-Star break, they're now ranked first in not just overall defense, but a bunch of categories. We're going to start a discussion with this. Chase, to try and put it simply, what have you seen that has, you know, improved the defense? And how is Charlotte doing this? How are they generating this number one ranked defense? So I'm sure I'm not alone here, but this has given me very similar vibes to last season's turnaround. Like, but with one key caveat, last year, Clifford was playing with a bunch of young guys for getting their first shot at sustained meaningful minutes or a bigger role for like a long period of time. And then he had like really solid defensive veterans and Dennis Smith Jr., Kelly Oubre, Gordon Hayward when he was available. They're all hungry to prove themselves in one way or another. Now, you know, the advantages of that had kind of worn off and now they were just NBA players that hadn't quite taken a step forward since that last season, especially defensively. Now he's just got nine to ten bona fide NBA rotation players. And what does Steve Clifford do when he has nine to ten bona fide NBA rotation players? He gets the absolute best out of them every single time. That's like his calling card with the Mavericks and those very mediocre Bobcats teams that saw a couple times they made the playoffs. And when they didn't, they were never like absolutely horrible, or except for a couple select years. But as a overall, when he was with Charlotte and Orlando, he always made his role players a little bit better than they had ever been in their spots before. We see Vasily Majic, as we're going to talk about a lot here. Didn't really even play with OKC in the first half of the season. Grant Williams was like signed to a $13 million contract with the Mavericks. And within months, they shipped him out. Like Davis Bertans, again, barely playing, but is at least a guy that could come off the bench and give you a marquee skill. Seth Curry, been in NBA rotations for what, 10 years now, pretty consecutively every single year. Like you can't say that about any of the other guys that were on the bench at the beginning of the year. And like, we are just reaping the benefits of it now. Like every single player in the lineup has, you know, some sort of like, and this is one of my favorite terms to use when talking about basketball is veteran guile. Like all of these guys have that. They all just know how to play and how to be on a team that wins and is successful because they've all done it. 
And now, like, I don't, I'm not saying this team is going to be like, you know, four and one. They're not going to win at that clip for the rest of the season, but they're obviously going to be better and in pretty much every aspect, which is what we're seeing so far. It's been so refreshing to watch. I mean, so we've good. become programmed this season to just like defensive mistakes. And like, even the guys who are now on the bench, JT Thor, Bryce McGowan, Nick Smith Jr., I feel like even they're enjoying it. <laughs> even though they're not playing, they're like watching it and they can see it's the just impact. It's I mean, fun to be a part of a winning team. Like it's been so long yeah. for those guys. Like since they were in college or even high school for the most part. And they can't even argue, right? Like those guys have gone off the floor. They are not NBA caliber players right now. Like as, as fun as Nick Smith Jr. has been and Hornet sounds like he is not actively helping your team winning games on a consistent basis. They had moments, sure, but there were moments. It wasn't you know, every possession game in, game out. And the guys that they brought in, I mean, they're they're smaller, they're less athletic, they might not have the measurements that you want, okay, in, in your positions, but just improved communication, better basketball IQ. These are things that they don't jump off a scouting report. They're not they're not things that jump out on the screen when you watch, but the collective as a whole, you can just see is so much more connected. Like there are so fewer mistakes, less terrible fouls where you play great defense for 22 seconds and this one reaches in at the end. Um, there is just more, more discipline and accountability across the entire team. And it just screams it from everyone. It's not just like one player, I think, changing it. Like you say, it's just Steve Cooper's talked about those players being able to adapt quickly in the defensive end. And the, these, let's not pretend these weren't guys who are thought of as really plus defensive players. Grant Williams, yes, like to an extent, but Freeman, Bertons, Curry, Micic, like you talk about their offense first before any of their defense, but they just know what to do, how to execute the scheme. That's a massive thing, uh, is executing the coach's game plan. And that is something they've been able to do. And that was something that he really harped on in the first half of the year, he was never like really calling guys out for like effort saying they weren't playing hard enough or, you know, we just flat out like weren't good enough on that end. Like he never really talked like that. It was always just kind of like the guys that we are able to put out on the court right now, like there are not enough of them that can go out and execute on a consistent basis. There are not enough people on this team that have like a really good feel for the game and are, you know, defense first players and go into the game with a, a certain approach and mindset that really only like a veteran or experienced player can have, which they had that last year in DSJ, Ubre, Hayward, like, and that's why they were, I think they finished sixth, like after the all-star break in defense, like shuffled around the pieces, the rotation, got a better team this year. You did that, but to an even more significant degree, you brought in what five, four new players shipped out three. All of those guys were in the rotation. Like you weren't trading really anybody on the back end and here you are with a much better, more cohesive, just two-way like impact team on a night-to-night -night basis. And Steve Clifford is the right coach to be able to coach a group like that and get the best out of them. Even in a season where you probably already lost too many games to make a real push, but oh, the yeah. Hornets are it's obviously going to play really good basketball down the stretch here. I I think they I think they were playing much improved basketball. I I say it's like if we're talking about average being playoff playing level, I don't want to say like really good. Yeah, but, that's probably yeah, that's fair. Within the perspective and context of what they used to be, they will be definitely. Be yeah, I mean, yeah, but like 
comparing yeah, they'll, them. Yeah, they'll probably be <laughs> I mean, they've they've won what five out of the six since they've made these deals. That's yeah. I don't know if they're I would say they'll probably finish the year maybe around like what 29, 27, 28, 29 wins that they were at last year. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. I looked at the schedule the other day and I think I guessed that they would win 10 games. And that was before the Golden State game. So they've obviously won one already in the Portland game since then. But this, the schedule does toughen up. Um, a couple of interesting stats here. The the Hornets, just to put kind of a, a nice, nice little conclusion on this defense here, holding opponents to 98.6 points per 100 possessions. That is first in the NBA. Not as only as at first. The next team in second is Minnesota at like 101. Like that, they are oh, that miles. is locked down. Like yes. under 100 points per 100 possessions in 2024 basketball is like you are putting the clamps on those guys. And I will say, like for it to be that good, you have had some shooting luck. I'm just yes. like you, you I, can't, I was, you can't I was gonna get there. <laughs> yeah, it's not possible. Uh, and and like opponents are shooting 23 percent from three. Although I did check like the percentages on like wide open and open three point shot attempts. They weren't like terribly down. I think like wide open was or open was 35% for the opponent, which isn't like, you know, it's not in the teens. So the, the opponents are still hitting, seem to be hitting these wide open and open threes. So well, not crazy, but forcing a lot of tough ones. Uh, 10 deflections per game. That's first in the NBA. And get this, Chase. Who do you think is first on the team in deflections in the last five games? Hmm. Is it Trey Mann? It is Trey Mann. Well done. There we go. I was going to say, it's got to be someone I'm not suspecting that's been like a way better defender than we thought. Yeah. And I mean, that's him. Like he fits the bill for that to a T. 3.7 deflections per game. Wow. Uh, next is Cody Martin at 2.7. And then next on the team is Michich and Curry at 1.2. So you're talking about of your top four guys in deflections, three of them have come over in trade. So we talk about that like disruption defense. I mean, Trey Mann is, he's not particularly long. He's not particularly like speedy or athletic, but talk about like a nose to the ball. He has really good instincts of when to double and when to help and to reach in and good hands. And he's just been like everywhere, generating steals, um, helping on the weak side, you know, of someone who have, of his like stature, you wouldn't expect him to be as impactful as he is. Uh, and he's not, not overly physical, but he just has a knack for it. It's, it's really impressive to see. And uh, shout out Trey Mann. 3.7 deflections per game, uh, coming in a new team, learning a new defensive system. That is just like instincts. It's super impressive. Um, forcing turnovers on 16.3% of opponent possessions. That's third in league. That free throw rate is up to fifth best opponent free throw rate in terms of keeping their opponents off the line. That has been a terrible weakness of this team all season long. So just all these arrows pointing up, 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 and up. Um, it's really impressive to see. However, and I will say, however, this is who they've played in that span. Okay, a Memphis team, which was basically playing like the end of their back bench and 10 day contract. You played, you played the Memphis hustle on that. Yeah, you game. did. <laughs> uh, a post trade deadline Utah team who started Taylor Hendricks for the first time and gave minutes to Bryce Sensabar and is basically saying, here's two rookies you've never played before into the rotation you go. Uh, the Warriors team, who they lost to and did play good defense, but lost quite comfortably. And a Portland team 
that was also, you know, really struggling with injuries as well. Now, the Indiana win where they held them to 111 points, that and the Golden State, I think they held them to 97. Um, those are like a proof the defensive side is real. Whether I quite believe, you know, this team is that like four and one streaking team, they've got a big break in the schedule here, playing some teams who are well short of their, their top end rotation guys, as, as Charlotte are as well. But, you know, I, I do think it's been a soft schedule as of late. So I just wanted to go back to what we were talking about a couple minutes ago in that maybe the shooting variance and luck has a little bit of an influence on this. But I do think that maybe, a, I don't want to say bigger, but definitely an equal influence to the stat I'm about to throw in here is that they are forcing turnovers at an extremely high clip. The In the last six games in this streak where the defense has been so good, they are fourth to last in contested shots per game at 36, which is 20 behind Oklahoma City, which is in first place. They're just not really getting out to like complete the closeout nearly as often as the average team or maybe as much as they should. Uh, and obviously, like we said, the shooting percentages are fairly low, which that Portland game is probably tanking like the overall three-point percentage against teams they've played against by quite a bit. I think they were three for 32 in that game. Uh, but still, like over time, if you're one of the teams in the league that's contesting like one of the fewer amounts of shots per game, you're just giving yourself less room for error. You're giving the other team a mar larger margin for error to just take more open shots and be more comfortable, get in rhythm easier. And over a large sample size, you're probably bound to give up a pretty high percentage of, of threes in a couple of games, if not you know, for a large stretch of time that's going to even that number back out a little bit. But like I said, I actually think that them forcing turnovers influences that quite a bit. Like, you're not going to get to contest as many shots if the other team doesn't get to take one because you're just ripping the ball out of their hands and taking it down the other way. So there there are some positives to that. I mean, you can definitely put that in a, you know, better context than I did maybe if to, to frame it if you think the turnovers are the more influential thing. But I obviously think that, you know, the shooting is going to come around for these teams eventually, but I, I yeah. think they're more prepared to handle that as well, though. So lots of positives to it. There are. I, I think the, the reality of the situation probably lies somewhere that they are not the best defense in the NBA. Shock, okay. You know, they, that, that, that schedule is soft. But I think they have clearly played like a team that could be a above average defense in the league, okay, top 15. In this run, they've shown that against teams like Indiana, against Golden State, um, and and that is like massive progress, right? With this team out, with missing Nick Richards, you're lacking size. Sorry, M Mark Williams, you're lacking size right now. Playing Grant Williams as your backup five, they got you know killed, kicked around on the defensive glass a little bit. So I, I don't think the you know this is probably the pinnacle. This is the height. I don't expect us to be having this quite the same conversation in a week's time. If we are, I'll happily be proved wrong. Uh, but there are real signs of progress here. Let's not just pretend this is all fake and it's just because of schedule. There is both of these things I think are happening uh, in parallel to one another. And like, what does it mean? February time, March time, the defense is good for a week or two. Like we all got excited about it last year. They came into this year. It did not carry over. And this is the word we, we've not seen defense carry over from stretches into new seasons. The last, last season into this one. So there has to be a little bit of worry about quite how long this will last and will it even carry over and what will it look like when or if Lamella Ball comes back. Um, but at the minute, 
you you can't worry about that right now. You just have to, you know, enjoy what you're watching. And it's just amazing, like, what communication does on a basketball court. You, you cannot under, understate how important it is. Like, you do not need to be able to jump. You don't need to be super long. If you can just be smart, know where to be, communicate well and be connected as a team, you can be a good defense. It is as simple as that. Um, unfortunately, you need a level, I think, of like being able to read the game and basketball IQ and discipline to be able to do that. And I think some of the Hornets' younger players just lack it. But should we talk about one of the guys that we can say for sure does not lack the ability to communicate defensively when he's out there? I think everybody knows who we're about to talk about here and maybe what we're about to talk about also. But that is one Grant Williams, Charlotte native, Providence State alum. He's Do you want to take back your, your, your... I'm giving you a chance here. It's been two weeks since we spoke. When we did the trade, you talked about how you're a little lower on Grant Williams. You know, I was I was pretty high. I really like the move. I really like the addition. I'm giving you a mulligan chase. You can You can take that back. You can delete that. Okay, or you can stay on that hill. I'm giving you the opportunity. Well, I I do want to say the one thing that I did like about it was that his ability to mix it up or willingness to mix it up and just be a communicator, talk, bring, you know, his style of leadership to the team and at least just see if that was going to work. And so far, it seems like the guys are taking to it. So I obviously I'm going to give him credit for that. Uh, I don't think he's going to shoot like, what was it like 50% from three or whatever it was, I think leading up to the Portland game or the last couple of games. I think he was just, I like, think he's at 39% uh, as a Charlotte Hornet. He's at from three. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think field, 15 points, four and a half rebounds, 1.7 assists, half a steal, 0.3 blocks uh, in 28 minutes per game. He's at. So, I mean, those are pretty impressive career numbers, uh, which I don't, like you say, I don't expect him to maintain that. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, with Boston, and I don't know about his averages with Dallas, his best average with Boston was like, I think it was like eight and four and like an assist or two per game. I definitely think that's like what he would even out to maybe like next year or something, I guess, when the Hornets are fully healthy, ready to make, you know, hopefully a run towards being a good team. I imagine that that would be closer to what he's going to be than what he is now when LaMelo's out. And, you know, he's obviously trying to make his mark on the team right now. And has been playing arguably just as well as anybody else that they've traded for and was shooting the absolute leather off the ball for a couple of weeks, which he has been known to do. Like he's like a 38% three-point shooter, yeah. I think, for for his career. He's really good from the corners. You imagine that when Lamelo gets back, like he's just going to get even more of those like wide open corner threes and stuff. Uh, he plays really well off of good players, which we didn't see in Dallas, but I am going to say, like, to Grant Williams' credit, there are a lot of other players that have gone through Dallas that have gotten a lot worse than what they were when they came there, and then they got a lot better when they left. So maybe it's not necessarily the role players themselves in Dallas, but the people that they are surrounded by or the person well, that they are surrounded by. Just look at the situation. It, it's right. like, look at the usage. In Dallas, he had a usage percent yes. of 13%. In Charlotte, it's up to 20 all right? Chase, we've both played basketball. Tell me what do you prefer, running up and down the floor, standing in a corner, wait to get an open shot, or to be involved in the game, passing between teammates, being in the screen action, moving the ball. Like, it, it's just, this is basketball basics 101. If everyone is touching the ball, if everyone is involved, you feel more invested. You feel more part of the team. You run back harder. You run forward harder. 
Like it, like some people like Dorian Finney-Smith, I just don't think it matters. Like they they play the same, but Grant Williams is someone who grew up like in college. He had the ball a lot. He was playing throughout the post. He's someone I think he needs to feel that that kind of like playmaking screen and dive role. He he likes that. He doesn't want to just go stand in the corner. And I think you're now seeing him being able to be, you know, play the style of basketball that he wants to play. And that suits his strengths as well. Right. And you can even look like Grant was basically was so maligned by that Mavericks fan base. As soon as he comes to Charlotte, he's doing the exact same things as he was when he was with Boston playing off of guys there. And you can even scale that upwards to guys like Jalen Brunson. He leaves, leaves the Mavericks, becomes an all-star. Kristaps Porzingis leaves the Mavericks, plays a, one of the best years of his career with the Wizards, and then probably is now having the best year of his career with Boston. Like, this seems to be a common theme. And, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Seth Curry, if he comes back and gets, like, real minutes for a long time, becomes maybe, like, a little bit closer to that, like, secondary playmaker that we saw, like, in Brooklyn at times and, like, maybe even his first stint in Dallas. Like, he can handle the ball a little bit. He just didn't get to show it in Dallas because he rarely even like played in, as a real rotation member. But now, like he, these guys are just being like fully unlocked as players with this team because they have so much freedom. But also just because like it, a new situation and a new context can do so much for guys like that you really can't know, I guess, or put into perspective until it actually happens. And now we're seeing it right now. Like every single one of these guys looks better than they did three weeks ago, which. You wouldn't have necessarily like predicted or known to predict or say that, but you sometimes you just got to wait and see. And I think this is a now, perfect example. A, a big part of Grant's success is he's played 70% of his minutes at center in Charlotte, right? Yes. And in Dallas, he played 83% of his minutes at power forward. Now, I think he's mainly playing center at the moment for Charlotte because of the injury situation. If, if Mark was healthy, I think he'd be almost exclusively a four, maybe a situational five. Uh, but th they're doing it right now because they obviously feel more trust in him than they do in Marquise Bolden, who they signed to a 10-day contract uh, since we last spoken to. Not really had a chance to see him yet. And or Nathan Mensah, who is on that two-way. Um, I guess, what do you think of the small ball center grant? Do you think this is a... Like, let's talk long-term, right? Let's. Do we think this is a situation where he's going to be power forward or actually do you think Charlotte has stumbled into something where at center his, his spread, you know, three point shooting just makes it a five out offense, which, you know, Steve Cliff has been talking all season about the difficulty of, you know, guarding against five out offenses. Have Charlotte stumbled into something here, like a, a better version of the PJ Washington small ball five. I definitely, I don't know if it's better, but it's definitely different. And like we've said over and over again, this team needed different, like just a different look. Grant is going to give you pretty much that same type of like pick and pop three point shooting threat that PJ gave you. But instead of being like a more versatile, like mobile rim protector type, Grant is just like a physical get under your skin, like make contact, try and bother you. Not afraid to foul necessarily if he has to like, he, it's just a different type of player, and the Hornets are strongly benefiting from that right now because they lack the performance. Yes, exactly. We talked That's earlier about all, communication. Yeah. I mean, you can hear him out there. Like he's always pointing, like Steve like, Clifford is said it, like, pushing them. Every post game, like he's an organizer, and yep. and this is what exactly what this team needed an organizer. It didn't have that like vocal defensive guy. 
on on that end who can like quarterback the defense and like that might great on some people that we talked about but you know he is being uh, embraced by his fans, by his teammates. Like you're seeing Miles Bridges post funny pictures of Grant Williams dressed up as a Batman. Like the fans, I was worried. And I think so were you. Like, will the fans take to Grant? But I think, you know, he's the only player on the Hornets who's ever really gets on the refs. He stands up to other players. Charlotte mm. haven't had that recently. Some might find it annoying, but they're embracing it. He's a hometown kid. He speaks to the media really well. He says the right things to, like, I think really, like, rally you up as a fan. Um, and so far, it feels like what other people and players and fans might find annoying, Charlotte, Charlotte fans are just, like, lapping it up. They absolutely love everything that he's about. They love the Draymond Green situation. or Well, the Lester Canones, you know, when he when he stood up to him at the end of that Warriors game, which we'll get on to in a minute. It's, you know, it, it's probably, like, unneeded some of it and you can't do it every single night you know mm. this is the thing right you have to choose your spots if you do it every night it loses impact because it's just grant being grant again but if he can do that kind of thing every now and then i think that sets a tone um and, and that's the key thing for me is like he needs to be able to keep it in check enough that when he kind of really decides to be vocal or decides to get in someone's face it's warranted it's not just like, uh, oh, roll your eyes, here we go again. And if he can kind of toe that line, and yeah. it's a very delicate line, but if he can do that, that's what's going to make me think, like, they really might have unlocked something here. And, like, I just think to the playoffs especially, because that's ultimately the goal with what we're trying to accomplish here. Like, I don't know how far away it has been or is may seem right now. Like, you hope to envision that some, if not most of these guys, are on a playoff team for the Charlotte Hornets in the near future. Like Grant is one of those guys that's already been in playoff series. He's played in a ton of big games. He's played in the NBA finals. He's guarded Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez with success, like enough success to where his team can win the series based off not his performance solely, but obviously it's a part of it. Like where he doesn't match up well, maybe against like someone like Miami and Bam Adebayo, but the Hornets have not had somebody that's af not afraid to like, just try and front Joel Embiid in the post, like get lower than him and just bother him, strip the ball, like poke the ball out from behind when he catches it. Just like little things like that, that, you know, don't necessarily show up as like a block or a steal or something, but over the course of a game and over the course of a seven game playoff series, it really wears on guys that don't have to deal with that every night. In the Memphis game, uh, right. in the Memphis game where Nick Richards was just being taken to town by Jaron Jackson Jr., Grant Williams just went out there and basically like stopped the bleeding. Like, and, and the, when have the Hornets had a front court player? Like, even Mark Williams, he's a good defender, but he's not that type of player that you just put him on someone to shut down. And Grant Williams was able to guard Jaron Jackson Jr. without fouling, just using his chest, using positioning, using his strength. And that just speaks to exactly what you were talking about right there. Like, you can just throw him out there and go, Yeah, we just need to stop Jaron Jackson. So let's put in Grant Williams. And he has that visit, like he has that kind of like it's not lockdown, but just uh, you know, he's the clearly the best, like one to one individual defender in like the mid post inwards. That's clearly him. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Should we talk in a little bit more detail about the the actual fight that concluded that rock fight of a game again? So what did you think? What did you what was your take on the situation and on Draymond Green's uh, monologue, should we call it after the game? I that part I don't even I don't even engage with with material like that anymore. I he can, you know, do whatever he wants. But I thought that was fucking fun, dude. Like that hasn't happened in a Hornets game in so long. Like mm-hmm. they, Grant was like head forehead to forehead with Lester Quinones. They were like talking shit, swearing at each other, yelling, pushing. When was the last time that happened? Like not and for like a like genuine basketball reason, not because like someone got shoved onto the ground for like a hard foul or something. Like I honestly like really don't even remember. And I'm not saying it's like good to fight and like do shit like that but like it, that is good to show yep. emotion in that way and passion like within two weeks of after of getting this group together like it's just not something that we had seen from them at all in the last six months and something that you and i had highlighted multiple times that they really needed to add to this team was an element of just like somebody that's just going to go out there and like give you a spark like mix it up yell at somebody like maybe give like a little bit of a hard foul every now and again. And like, that's what like Lester Quinones, actually, I I do want to say, I don't necessarily think he did anything wrong. I don't running up the score. Isn't a thing in professional sports. Like he, he just got an NBA contract. This is like, if he wants to get himself a bucket, he can get himself a bucket. Like he's not been in the league for that long and he may not be in the league for that long. So I don't blame him there. But after that though, like all bets are off and everybody can, you know, do what they got to do. The the Stephen Jackson evergreen quote, ain't nobody in the NBA trying to fight. Like, I don't know. They got, they, it looked like they were trying to fight a little bit at the end right there, but they were, they were separated and nobody actually fought, which is good, but it's definitely a nice change to see that kind of fire. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I watched that game record and I, I, I turned the game off because it was over right before that happened. And then I go on, Twitter to be like, oh, what are people saying after the game? And I'm like, what the hell did I miss? Like, um, and it obviously all kicked off. Look, the Charlotte Hornets have been pushed around. It's been an easy night in the NBA for like so long. Like, no one has any respect for them. It's 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 a walkover of a game. They're not tough. It's just been like you can walk into their house, you can win the game. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to stand up to you. It was. It, I think it was probably a little bit unneeded from Grant Williams. Equally, I don't care. Like this is, it sets a tone to the young players that like we're not here just to be like walked over, right? Uh, like even if you lose, you go down fighting. Um, and and like I said, you can't be doing that every time you lose a game, right? And then it just turns mm-hmm. into a bigger thing. Um, we've seen probably like how you can take it too far with Draymond Green, ironically, um, in, in his career and where it starts to like be more, it goes past being tough to kind of just being more of a hindrance and a distraction. So you, you can't get to that point. But like I say, if he can tow that perfect line, uh, that is something I want. And, you know, 
a guy to like stand up for, you know, your Lamella Bores, your Brandon Millers. They can't go and do that kind of stuff. They're too important. Grant Williams knows like he can go and get a technical foul. He can go, you know, risk being thrown out of a game at the end of a game or something like that, even if he's suspended, like if, if he has to do that. So the ironic thing is, and Draymond Green said this, like he's a really nice guy. Like you hear him talk, he's smiley, he's friendly. It's true, he is a really nice guy. <laughs> he is a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why Draymond Green was so like surprised at it because he like knows he's spoken to him and that's he feels like it's an act. He feels like it's not really him. He's trying to put it on. But look, Draymond, you've not watched the Charlotte Hornets for as many games. Even if it is put on, the Charlotte Hornets needed that. So I've got no problem with it. Um, I, I, I like that it happened. Um, so. Yeah, just have to keep it in check a little bit, but a good thing. Fully agreed. Okay, uh, before we move on to our next two points, I want to tell you that about this podcast being brought to you by allhornets.com, a credential Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets, from breaking news, rumors, fans, Q&As, in-depth analysis, AllHornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. Also, if you haven't already, please check out our T-shirt online store. We have some All Hornets logo tees. We have some quotable tees um, with some of our favorite quotes from the season you'll be able to see on there. They're quite cool custom niche. You can show off your niche Hornets fandom with some of those tees, so go check those out. Uh, moving on to our next part. It's kind of expected that Lamella Ball, we think, is going to come back at some point. The the, the noise that we hear is he's ramping up, uh, doing more in practice each day. My question to you, Chase, is, is when and if that happens, who do you see going to the bench? I think this is beginning to become a topic, which will obviously be a hot one when and if he does return. But how do you expect that to go? And what do you think is best, I guess, for the balance of the team? See, I think there are a couple ways that you can look at this, and it kind of depends on like which aspects of the team that you want to maintain or maybe improve. Because while we just spent like 20 minutes probably like talking about like glowing over this defense, which has been very good and rightfully so over the last couple weeks, the offense has still been like pretty poor. They're one of the you know, they're I think they're 13th in true shooting percentage, so they are getting like pretty good value off of their shots, but. They're still, you know, they're they are holding teams under 100. They're also scoring under 100, which yeah. is not the goal. So you want to maybe balance that out a little bit. You know, you maybe give up 105, 110, but you score 115 yourself. You're putting yourself in a good situation here. Uh, I had a little, like, data point that I wanted to bring up and hear your opinion on this, too, uh, in regards to that. Because I think, it, obviously, you can look at this, like, you move Trey Mann to the bench you're going with like more of a defensive starting lineup with Cody Martin at the two, Brandon Miller, Miles Bridges, Nick or Mark, when if Mark comes back. But even with Nick in there, that's still like a pretty, I would say, defensive-focused lineup. If you want to do LaMelo, Trey Mann, Brandon Miller, Miles, Nick, I think that then, even though it's only one player, becomes like a pretty offensive-focused lineup depending on how you want to play and whatnot. But there is this... This is commonly used, I think, among coaching staffs in the NBA is the 30-point the quarter. You want to hold your opponent under 30 points in a quarter, and you want to score more than 30 points in a quarter yourself. Because the more often that you do that, like you, if you can get to essentially like 120 points a game, 
and you can hold your opponent to, you know, about 110, like over a large sample size, you're more than likely to be a pretty efficient offense and good defense. And that'll even out over time to winning a lot of games. Right now, the Hornets in there, how many 30 point quarters do you think their defense has given up since this group has been playing together, which is six games? I think the first game was February 10th against Memphis. Uh, four. Very close. Good guess. Only five, though. Four, but five quarters where they've given up more than 30 points in six games is good. Like that is a mark that any good team in the NBA would be extremely pleased to hit. If you put Trey Mann in, maybe not going to get to those marks, especially in the first quarter, because none of those were the first quarter, by the way. They were almost all the third quarter. And I think the second quarter against Indiana, they had 33. But almost all of them were the third quarter. So if you depending on how you configure your lineups, you can definitely, you know, maybe balance that out in certain ways. And your defense is going to end up giving more points up over time in these like short stints of a quarter because of the different lineups you're going to have on the floor at a different time. But you're also going to get more offense when you put Trey Mann out there, which both as a scorer and a playmaker, which is a huge boon to this team because the, the guard depth behind Lamella was the team's easily the team's biggest weakness going into the deadline. I think it's easily their biggest strength right now. Like there's multiple guys that you can trust with the ball in their hands to be a distributor, be a scorer at all three levels, really create their own shot. And a, a Trey man is a huge part of that. So I, I, I can see either way, honestly, I think they'll go with Cody Martin in the end, because I think Steve Clifford's going to lean towards defense and just trying to sustain that success over time, because it's probably better for like a, you know, culture building type of move to do that. But you want to show, <clears throat> excuse me, showcase Trey man. You put him in the starting lineup. Maybe he becomes an even more like high usage player and is even more efficient and effective with it than he's been so far. Hmm. So you, you think it could go either way, but you lean Cody Martin. Um, yeah. I would be stunned if it wasn't Cody Martin. And this is why. Uh, you talk about balance as a team, balance play, something Steve Clifford says all the time. Um, if you have Lamelo Ball in the game, like Cody Martin just gives you defensive balance straight away, right? He can guard the opposing ball handler. He gives you rebounding. Um, you can take some of like the playmaking off his play. I know he had a career high. I think it was 11 assists the other night against Portland. He also has a 19% turnover rate as a point guard, which is like terrible. That's You're basically turning the ball over once every like five or six possessions when you're in the game as point guard. Um, interesting. I looked at the defensive rating of Lamella Ball and Cody Martin when they played together with each other this year. I was hoping this would add to my argument. It, it didn't. Uh, in 52 there are, minutes... There's got to be a, an extremely limited number of pairings from that first half of the season that were good defensively, to your, yes. to your credit, though. Well, it's 52 minutes in total, so it's not a okay. actually relatable minute size. Uh, defensive right. rating of 154.7. That would be poor. That is true. That's, that would be poor. That is <laughs> large. That is a large number. I've not seen many large number of defensive ratings than that. Um, but... Look, Michich and Man, they just fit better as a like backcourt complement. You imagine like Cody Martin and Michich in the backcourt, the second unit. There is not enough shooting there. Uh, there is not enough scoring. Like it, it, you, just the, the balance of play goes. You need to have Man shooting next to Michich's like ball handling, passing. Like they've obviously already got a fit together coming from Oklahoma City. 
you know, man is the scoring guard off the bench. Micic is the facilitator who gets everybody involved. Um, I just think the balance is so much more there, like both in the starting unit with the defense offense and then with the second unit with the defense as well. I just think it makes so much sense. Um, I, and I would just be stunned. I, I said when Steve Clifford first got appointed last season, I think one of my like hot takes at some point, I remember saying it, was that Cody Martin would start ahead of Terry Rozier at some point. And I think secretly this is what Steve Clifford has been kind of wanting to do for a while now. Like, we all knew Cody Martin would be like a Steve Clifford wet dream. And we've not been able to see it up to this point because of injury. And he's finally getting to do it. And we're seeing, like I say, with the deflections, his defense, his defense on Trey Young, uh, you know, mm. was just absolutely incredible against the Hawks. Um, I, I think Steve Clifford wants to see if long-term Cody Martin can actually start next to Lamella Ball. So I would be shocked if it wasn't Cody Martin. And on top of that, add all the stuff like he's been around for longer. He's more of a veteran on the team. Like that, even if that stuff wasn't the case, I just think it makes too much sense. I, I would really be stunned. I think Trey Mann made a good start. I still think his role is like a thick man off the bench. And I think that would kind of like suit him. Um, so that that's the way I foresee that playing out. Um, okay. Moving on, our final section. Vasily Micic. Uh, the question I put here is, is he the answer as Charlotte's backup point guard? I normally get, let you go first, but before we even get into this, there are not even words that my brain can produce to display the level of joy I have when watching Vasily Micic play basketball. He is a savant. He has five different fakes and lookaways for every like two dribbles of the basketball that he does. Yeah, it's it's unlike anything I've really seen, especially like watch so much NBA. You don't have a lot of players you kind of play like he does. Um, wherever he's looking, you need to not guard because he is not passing the ball, the ball there. And he, I just don't feel like there will ever be a second unit that can generate poor offense when he is out there. Like they may not, the shots might not always go in, but the team just always generates good looks when he's out there. Um, when he is on the floor, the offense is, is plus 23.7 points on offense when he's out there. That is like 100th percentile. Like the team offense is just so good out there. I've not enjoyed watching a backup point guard play for Charlotte like this. I was going to say since Tony Parker in 2018-19, but actually like Tony Parker came in and he was like a microwave mid-range scorer. I actually enjoy watching Micic more because you never know what he's going to do. Um, so I'm going back to like Jeremy Lin levels. Like this is... An absolute coup, I think, and is the perfect backup to Lamella Ball. Um, I'm just absolutely thrilled. So I can't say enough good things about Vasily Micic. I just want to know if I can share my joy with you. You absolutely can, James. What you just said, you never know what he's going to do. I had it in my notes. His unpredictability as a passer, playmaker, just like the pace that he plays with, is the closest thing to LaMelo that they've had on this team since he was drafted by a country mile. And like, 
the caliber of player that you have in that you know position or archetype or with that skill set isn't necessarily quite as important when you are like directly mirroring the play style and the like creativity and like the level of court vision and IQ and savviness of your not only your starting point guard but like your offensive engine the best player on your team like obviously there's a talent drop off if well, if and when LaMelo comes back and then when Vasa comes in to back him up but there's not a style of play shift you can play mm -hmm. with the same pace you can run you can expect this guy to create passing angles or make passes exactly. at angles that don't really exist and these guys the role players around him guys like Grant, Trey Mann, Cody Martin, Nick Richards like the chemistry that they have is like almost it's like going to carry over almost from LaMelo to Vasa and that's just without even beginning to talk about how fun he is like he is like if like Milos, Milos Teodosic like was not like yeah. erratic basically and just more even more skilled like as a shooter and scorer almost like he is so fun to watch at the NBA level the only thing that makes me think that he wouldn't be like maybe not the answer but like an answer to the backup point guard situation is he's not he's not an NBA athlete like, I think that's become very clear very quickly like he's a below par athlete at that position but he is 65 and he is an extremely smart player both on offense and on defense which mitigates that at least enough i think to where you could keep him in a rotation i don't know if he's like a playoff rotation guy but again on a playoff team in okc he didn't play that much like but he did come in i think he played like like the 12 games uh, leading up to the deadline he played like as their backup basically. So he's obviously I, a guy that you can. Even in his, in his role as backup, he had a usage percentage of like 18%, which for him, it's like you can't play Vasily Micic and like expect him to stand in the corner in space. I, yeah. I understand you have a team style and your players must fit into it, but it just wasn't a good fit. Like they play quite a unique style and you know, his, his usage with Charlotte is up to 27%. That is a big, big jump. But that's exactly, for him to help you on the court, he needs to be getting used. He needs to have the ball because he's not a spacer, like you say. He's not a defensive guy, but he can get your offense humming. And he looks way more comfortable getting these minutes. I think players will love playing with him. Uh, he's perfectly safe for that pick and roll action. And he just plays every situation how, how he should. Like that Golden State game, they were really playing him and the Portland game to pass, right? They weren't helping off their men at all. They watched the film. The coaches had already said, when he is driving, do not come off your man because he's always looking to pass. Um, and like he was aggressive and I think he went like zero for eight or something. Like he had a bad shooting game. But I like that he realized, okay, they're playing me this way. So the only way I can be effective is for me to score. Because I can't just like pass to these guys on the perimeter because they're not helping at all. So I need to take that onto myself and I need to score. And I actually think he did the right thing. The shots just didn't fall. And he got some really open ones. With these European players, it can sometimes take a year or two for them to adjust to that NBA line. Like they are playing with a European three-point line. It's two foot closer in. So there is a change here, which he's probably still experiencing going through this. Because uh, he was like a good, pretty good shooter in Europe. I, I still have faith that that can come through when he gets more rips, reps, when he gets in better basketball shape. But I'm almost like certain now that they just wouldn't look to trade him. Not with Lamelo Ball's injury history, not with how he looks. 
He's a guy like Lamella Ball goes down again for an injury. Like he's played in the highest level in Europe. He would like come in, start NBA games, no problem, be able to get you running all your stuff, give you, I think, a good floor on offense as an NBA team. Um, so I, I'm already like saying, let's just keep Micic off the trade table in the summer. Like I, I don't need to see any more. This is clearly Charlotte not going to be able to attract a backup point guard of this level in free agency because there would be 10 other teams wanting to offer this guy the MLE normally, and he would go to a contender. And they have really pulled off an absolute steal to get him along with Trey Mann and second round picks. Um, I'm just in awe. I really am. Um, I, I, he is maybe the most fun Charlotte Hornet to like just watch. Just fun, like pure enjoyment. Because like you say, you never know what he's going to do. He does something every night you don't expect. Um, and he is kind of like almost like must watch television in some ways. Like when he checks into the game, I just get so excited to see him play. It really is a delight to have somebody out there. That's just not a walking highlight reel in the traditional sense, but as somebody that can just put up, you know, one of the NBA's top 10 plays of the night by, you know, driving hard down the lane, he jumps up and throws some crazy, like one handed wraparound pass to the guy in the corner. Like, we only see that with LaMelo in this team, but yeah. not any longer because we've got Basa Misic, thankfully. I think he's shooting 71% at the rim as well. So even though he's not yeah. a great athlete, he like when he gets to the rim, he has really good touch and finish. He uses his size well, I think. Um, finishes like these Euro steps and, and good like little reverses and thinking he dumps. Like it's uh, you know, just the his cadence when he's attacking the basket. He, he only does it when he like he knows there is a, a a lane for him to finish. He won't just attack the basket like you see a lot of American players kind of attack the basket a little bit out of control. Um, kind of they, they know they need to get to the rim or they want to try to draw a foul. He just picks his moments. He like just cuts you apart from a distance like a boxer. You can't lay a hand on him. He, he just he's reading everything so far ahead. Like he really does read the game, the game at an elite, elite, elite level. I'm talking like there are all stars in the NBA who don't read the game as well as for Sally Micic. He just unfortunately can't do some of the things physically and skill wise that they can. So it doesn't matter. But in terms of reading the game, there really aren't too many players in the NBA who have a better feel for the situation. Two-time EuroLeague champion, two-time EuroLeague final four MVP. EuroLeague MVP in 2021, three-time EuroLeague vault first-teamer. Not to mention, he's like he's already 30 years old. He's bringing on-court ability. He's got all of the accolades that you would expect from somebody that spent all that time in Europe. He is bringing the full package, like on and off the court so far. It's the the Hornets just have not had a guy like this on their team in the Lamelo era, especially, but. I mean, Jeremy Lin is probably the closest thing, I think, to somebody that's going to bring you the all-encompassing package that you expect from a backup point guard. I love Vasily Micic. Like, I'm just... There's just makes so much sense on this team, backing up LaMelo Ball. Um, I, I'd be interested to see, like, what when he gets, LaMelo gets back in court, what their relationship is like. Like, do you think is watching some of this and being like, Shit, I can learn from this guy. <laughs> you know, some of the stuff he's doing, I've not seen before. I've not tried to do some of the stuff that he's doing. And he plays somewhat, you know, like 
Lamelo Ball does have these fakes and these luckaways, but I would say that Micic combines them, like does them at higher volume, like in every single step of the dribble of the ball, which I don't feel like Lamelo does. I, I, I wonder if he looks at that thinking there's some stuff here that I can take from him. Um, obviously, Lamelo has the size, he has the shooting, he has the rebounding. Um, he's, he's probably a quicker first step to be able to attack the rim, but there's definitely some stuff there that I think he could take from his game. All right, Chase, uh, we've been going just under an hour here. Um, four topics we've hit. Is there anything you want to finish the show on? Anything to keep an eye out for this next week for, for games, Hornets games? Man, I, I just want people to just start having fun again. Like we we had been suffering through and just been debating like negative topics for so long, both like from a media perspective, fans hearing about it and national media, but the, the tides have turned and it's at least going to be a much more fun basketball team to watch down the stretch. I think like last year, they're not obviously not going to tank. Like they're not even coming close to that. They're going to play as hard as they can for as long as they can down the stretch. And obviously it didn't result in any sort of like culture building thing or long-term player development last year, but it really seems like that might be the case this year and that it's going to be the catalyst for bigger changes down the line. And hopefully, you know, maybe four and one since the all-star break a year or two from now is, you know, 10 and three to open the season or 10 and three since the all-star break or something like that. And we can just make these small steps to success into bigger steps and ultimately get much closer to the goal that many of us have had. And for, I mean, geez, 20 years now, basically. And for many people, even longer than that, dating back to the eighties. So it's definitely a, a good time to be a Hornets fan right now. It is. And I think we were saying off air before we started, we are thinking, Best straight-up trade the Charlotte Hornets have made. Maybe both of these moves. Mm. Uh, we think maybe since Josh McRoberts. That's where we landed, 2013-14, where the Charlotte Hornets traded Hakeem Warwick for Josh McRoberts, basically to save 800K because they were trying to cut, cut salary. And Josh McRoberts turned into a starter on a playoff team. Um, and, and I think that's like another one where it's like spare parts, forgotten about piece, all of a sudden emerged into key players that turned around the momentum of the team. And that's the last time I can think the Hornets did this kind of thing uh, or the Bobcats as it was then. So uh, that's an interesting one. Um, Chase, no updates on the front office search. Um, from what I understand, uh, interviews are, are happening. I would expect maybe an update later this week when we might start to hear about you know, some leading candidates or maybe some people being invited back for second interviews. That isn't sourced, by the way. That's just me uh, speculating from understanding like the time, the time frame, how I think it will go. Um, so maybe by next Monday, we have some more stuff to unpack in terms of potential leader of the front office. But I tell you what, this Hornets job just got a lot more interesting in the last, uh, in the last week or two, I think. You look at it now compared to looking at it, what, in December? You got those picks in the bag. You've got flexibility. You've got more of a, a veteran, you know, group. There's probably now a world where, if you're working a front office, you look at this and go, "Oh, there is a path here for like this team to be good if they get Lamelo back and Mark back, and they they play with these veterans again next year." Um, or there's free agency cap space in the summer. So, um, yeah, in, an interesting time. 
This is why we listen to the whole podcast. Stick around to the end, folks, because you're always going to get little interesting tidbits of information like that one. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. I'll see you next week.